0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Logs ...and those sort of things. And for the life of me, I don't recall Legos or Lincoln Logs or any of those things being overly complicated. You know, you had you had Legos with different colors and... I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 different shapes. You know, if you got the, the super cool set, it had like a little door, a little window that you could build into the, the structure that you were building. Then, of course, you had the big green yard. Y'all remember the big green yard that you built everything on and, and everything? And, and it was just really, really fun to be able to play with Legos. The other day, a new Lego creation came home. Uh, not for me, by the way. Uh, a Lego Jeep, and this thing, I was looking at it when when Matthew got through putting it together, and it's got working suspension and steering, like rack and pinion steering too, not not just like the wheels turn, like you turn and things things happen. And I was looking at this, and it had over six hundred parts in this this jeep. Now, if you haven't seen these new creations, it's not like the little little four or eight-prong things that we had when we were kids. These things come with little plastic baggies that are filled with all kinds of unique parts. I just tried to look up and find out how many different pieces there are in Lego, and nobody can agree on how many different Lego parts there are. The, like, I've seen numbers as high as like five digits, you know, 5,000 different Lego parts, and that doesn't even count all the different colors. But the good news is is that these new creations actually come with an instruction manual. I didn't need an instruction manual when I was a kid. Like, you know, build a box, put a window in it, bam, you got a house, right? This thing comes with an instruction manual, and I downloaded a copy of it just to say, I want to see this thing, just look at it. 124 pages. Like a real Jeep instruction manual doesn't have that many pages. And so based on what I saw this week, I mean, Matthew spent forever putting this thing together, doing one of these would be virtually impossible today without the manual in hand. Uh, You just couldn't do it. I mean, you would would pull your hair out trying to do this without the manual. You know, truth be told, there's a lot of things in life that really would be helpful if they came with manuals, but typically they don't. I mean, how many first-time parents, wouldn't you love to to have a manual in hand when you got your baby home from the hospital. Like what to do in the event of, like even in the car manual, like the maintenance section, like what's the fluid change requirement here? You know, what kind of gasoline does this thing take? Um, Or what about marriage? We do all the premarital counseling and all that stuff, and there's all kinds of books that have been written about marriage. But I still think it would be awesome during the ceremony if the pastor could present the bride with an instruction manual that said, guide to your new husband. And then he could present a a manual to the groom that says, guide to your new wife. I mean, that would be first day reading right there. Like, okay, what to do when, uh, you know, with an appendix back here, you know, a troubleshooting manual. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Like, you know, (laughs) stop. (laughs) Stop. I did find a book on Amazon called The Newlyweds Instruction Manual. I cannot vouch for its content, so I would not suggest that you order it because I don't know what was in it. Or, Or what about an instruction manual for conquering a nation? I know some of you may not have those level of aspirations, but how helpful would it be to have an instruction manual for such an endeavor? Well, you see, that's the challenge that Joshua's been given. We are in Joshua chapter one today, and Joshua has been given the challenge to conquer a nation. Again, I don't know how you start. I don't know where you begin. I guess crossing the Jordan River is a good place to begin, but that's the challenge that Joshua has been giving, and how in the world do you even undertake such a significant task? Well, it actually helps if you have a manual to read. I'll be in the same text this week as I was last week. Uh, again, we're not going to spend this amount of time in all the verses of Joshua, but I wanted to make sure we get this introductory section really nailed down well. For those of you who felt cheated last week that you only got a one-point sermon today, I'm going to give you a more traditional three-point sermon, just so that you you feel like you get your you, you get what you you get what you came for today. Uh, so we are in Joshua chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 6 today. We won't read all that first chapter, but if you've got your place in Joshua chapter 1, please stand with me if you're able as we look at Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. God says this He says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the commands that you have given Joshua. May we uh, hear those commands and heed them today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we started this journey in this remarkable section of scripture entitled "The Book of Joshua," and we understand right away that Joshua had huge, huge shoes to fill. It begins in verse one with this ominous declaration that Moses is dead. And again, we, we talked about this a lot last week that what a what a what a significant loss this was for the people of Israel. And they had mourned, they had spent a month in mourning, and now that was done, Joshua was very much in charge. But this wasn't a surprise to anyone. Joshua had been an incredibly visible figure in the nation. Even before the nation ever got to Mount Sinai, Joshua was already making, um, making a name. People were paying attention to who Joshua was. From just the standpoint of preparation, Joshua was ready for the challenge. He had attended that wilderness school of leadership for the past 40 years. And I think about what all Joshua got to experience during those 40 years. He had seen God do some remarkable things. He had seen astonishing failures from the people of God. He had learned strong leadership principles from Moses. His faith was strong, and he was ready for the challenge because he had been prepared for it. Yet even with the best preparation... God had, was faithful. He provided a permanent witness of what his expectations were for Joshua and his people. And, and we see this today. I mean, you can have the best preparation for your job, whatever your career may be. You may have gone to the best school. You may have had the best education, and you were well prepared for whatever your career is. But whenever you get into your career, it's still good to have some things helping you along the way. Nobody shows up with, with everything figured out. It's good to have that constant, that constant reminder of what the expectations are. Now, God may not have given Joshua a manual for how to conquer the promised land. As a matter of fact, we read through the book of Joshua, God almost gives Joshua daily instructions on what to do. He didn't tell Joshua ahead of time how he was going to conquer Jericho. He had to wait until he got to Jericho and God told him what was going to happen. But God did give Joshua a manual that detailed why they were taking the promised land. God did remind them of the why behind their conquest. God did remind them about their need to maintain a healthy, significant relationship with God throughout the entire campaign. And here God stresses to Joshua just how essential that manual is. And what we'll see today is that the manual that God gave Joshua and the people was just as important for us today. It's worth the same considerations today that it was for Joshua so many centuries ago. And we begin in verse 6 with that common refrain, be strong and courageous. This is familiar language. This is something that has been explained before. They have heard it before. And we talked even last week about where this courage came from. In one sense, courage that we experience, courage is a product of God's image that's been burned into the human heart we know plenty of lost people who are courageous. They don't know who Jesus is, yet they still have courage. And courage is one of those vestigial parts of the image of God in us. It's just part of how God has made us. We see courage. Courage is a virtue. But the kind of courage that is being called forth from Joshua is not just a a character trait. It's not just a, you know, Joshua's a good guy, He's he's a courageous guy. The type of courage that's being called forth from Joshua Is an informed courage. The courage that Joshua's being challenged to, he attains from a particular source. Now, of course, part of that is just Joshua's testimony. I mean, if you had seen God move like Joshua saw God move, how could you not be obedient? If you'd seen every day the, the, the manna. I mean, Joshua was part of that. He went out every day and gathered manna. If you had seen the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud leading the nation, if you had seen that, if you had seen something of the glory of God, uh, it'd be easy to feel like you were 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I mean, you had experienced things that nobody else had experienced. You had seen things that no one else had seen. You were, were a partaker in this glory of God. But we need to understand that it's more than just the subjective experience that helps to bring about that courage. Because our faith, listen, this is not popular today, our faith isn't just based on our experiences. And this is part of the pattern we see today. Over in Revelation chapter 12, we encounter this group in heaven who we're told they overcome by the word of their testimony. And our testimonies are subjective. Everybody's got a different testimony. Everybody's got a different story about how they came to faith in Christ. You might've got saved in church. You might've got saved in vacation Bible school. You might've got saved in a revival meeting. You you might've got saved in a Sunday school classroom. Everybody's got a different subjective experience about how they came to faith in Christ. But they also overcome by the the blood of the lamb. Well, listen, the blood of the lamb is very much a, an objective fact. It is an objective truth that Jesus shed his blood for us. Today's culture, particularly in church culture, is very much experience-based. We, we crave the subjective. We crave the experience because the experience is what we can, it's what we can feel. I mean, it, it's, it's how we feel when we, when we leave a, a worship gathering. That's why when our young people go to camp, it feels differently. Why does it feel different? Well, because there's lights and there's smoke and, and you can feel the music as it, as it, as it shakes the, the room. You can feel that happening. For the record, the subwoofers to our sound system are right above my office, and so when the band is rehearsing on Sunday morning, I can feel it instead of just hear it. I mean, I can, the, the ceiling tiles rattle just a little bit. I, I have an experience as the rehearsal is, is happening. We see a dramatic shift in churches today with dramatic lighting and, and hazy sanctuaries because I guess the haze is a reminder of the glory of God, I don't know. Uh, something that set the smoke detectors off as far as I'm concerned. And again, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but it just enhances the, the feeling. It enhances the, the experience when, when you walk into the room like that. But listen to me. Our faith has gotta be more than just Experience. It's got to be more than just the, 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 the feeling that we get when we walk into the room or when we, when we leave a service. Listen, that song that we just did, that made me feel something. I mean, the, the, the feeling of standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and, and it, with thousands of saints is, is a feeling, but that is an objective reality, too. Right? I mean, it's not just a feeling. It's not just emotions. It's not just the tears that we shed when we think about it. There's reality behind it. Our faith has to be more than just experience. It has to be grounded in something. And Joshua's commissioning here makes it very clear that his strength and his courage is to be grounded and it must be grounded on the, on the consistency and credibility of the Word of God. And that's where we pick up here at verse 6. Joshua 1 6 says, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The first thing we can glean from this is specifically dealing with God's word here is that God's word must be remembered. God's word must be remembered. In Joshua's commissioning, We are very quickly confronted with the reality that these people, this generation that Joshua is leading, they are walking on promises that were 600 years old. Again, we read our Old Testament Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus will slow you down, but you can read that in a day. I mean, you can get through that in a day, but the span of time that that, those five, those six books represent is, is, is tremendous. And we get, to, we get to Abraham in the book of Genesis, and God promises to Abraham that he's gonna make him a great nation, that through all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed through Abraham. And we think, man, what a, what a promise that was. We keep reading, and, and we get to Abraham. You know, we get to Isaac. We get to Jacob and Esau. And fa- quick as a wink, you get through Joseph, and then you're with Moses, and now Moses is dead. I mean, this happened in like a, a long weekend, right? No, it's 600 years have passed. 600 years have passed. And I have found it's getting harder and harder for us to conceptualize that amount of time. Just to understand this, for a point of reference, this is the year 2022. If you hit the Wayback Machine and go back 600 years, you find yourself in what year, math majors? 1422. Okay. Whoa, that just got real. 1422. What happened in 1422? Does anybody know? Not yet. Nobody knows what happened in 1422. I Googled it. I couldn't even come up with anything that, that, that sounded remotely interesting to me in 1422. Christopher Columbus was not even born until 1451 or so. He's not even born yet. The Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, all of that stuff, that's just barely 500 years old. And so this is long before Columbus was born. This is... Uh, uh, a hundred years before the Protestant Reformation started, and all this stuff in Joshua is taking place as a direct result of God's declared word 600 years previously. We get frustrated when something doesn't happen in a week, and they are standing on promises. They are being motivated by promises that were 600 years old. All that just goes to show you how timeless God's word is. It's timeless. You know, our pattern more and more to our detriment is that we tend to remember God's Word as long as it's convenient to us. However, when we find that the Word of God runs contrary to what our desires, what our wants, what our wills are, we sometimes allow that spiritual amnesia to kick in. It's even more evident as our culture moves further and further away from the truth. Al Gore famously or infamously wrote about climate change in the book, Inconvenient Truth, But more and more, it would seem to me that the inconvenient truth of today's culture has nothing to do with whether the climate's changing or not. The inconvenient truth of today's culture is the truth that God has given to us in the Word of God. That is where we find it to be most inconvenient. And we don't want to admit today that there is a God who has set very clear principles in place that govern behavior and relationships. We certainly don't want to acknowledge that this same God is our creator and therefore reserves the right to judge us for violating those principles. Today's culture has moved beyond all that and God's standards, you've heard this before, tend to be on the wrong side of history. That's where we find ourselves today. But Joshua, Joshua's standing on 600-year-old promises. Well, guess what? We're still standing on those promises today. It's like the old hymn, Standing on the Promises of Christ My King. We're still standing on those promises. Even to this day, even as we as God's people today seek to continue to bless the nations through the perfect son of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Great Commission is still motivated in part by God's promise to the nations through Abraham. That's how astonishing this is. However, we are more than just historians. Certainly, the Bible is historical. Certainly, it has come to us from a long time ago but the word of God is not dead. As a matter of fact, the Bible declares about itself in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, that it is a living word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's very much alive today. You had a Sunday school lesson today. You were studying the living word of God. It wasn't a dead word, even if your teacher made it sound like it was dead. It wasn't dead, It was very much alive. It's very much working and accomplishing its purpose. It's still very much alive. And because we understand that God's word is living, we also must recognize that God's word must be obeyed. Look at the next verse in Joshua chapter one, verse seven. Only be strong and very courageous. There we are again. Being careful to do according to, to all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may have good success wherever you go. We get this call again to strength and courage, but now we get further clarity. And this is not a statement about politics. This is a statement about truth. Strength and courage in the moment comes from a commitment to the fidelity of the word of God. And God isn't unclear here. God isn't unclear in what his expectations are for us. His desires for his people is evident. He wants people to be, and he uses the word careful in their commitment here. I was laughing during the kid's time watching. Uh, she, she would get a, a little, a young man to go on the search because we all know how man eyes work when they're searching for something. And so, so we would have that experience today because Men don't tend to be very careful when they're looking for something. I mean, we it could be right here. And where's it at? Your wife can tell you, I mean, GPS coordinates of where it's at. <laughs> Elevation, GPS, I mean, all that. Men, where's it at? Right? God says, be be careful. Be careful. This isn't some sort of casual arrangement. God says to be careful. What does it mean to be careful? I mean, we're careful when we cross a street. We're careful when we, when we walk across somewhere dangerous. We're careful when we merge onto the interstate. We understand being cautious in that sense, but that's really not what the word careful here is implying. The word careful here has a sense of conforming one's self to something. It means to conform one's self to something. I remember back when we were in, in high school, we took a school trip to Washington, D.C., and we went to church at the National Cathedral. If you've never been to the church at the National Cathedral, it ain't nothing like we do here, okay? And I had been only in Baptist churches my whole life, and so my concept of what church looked like came from, came from little country Baptist churches that I had been a part of. And so, um, so there wasn't a lot of kneeling. Now, the preacher would come down here in the aisle, and he would, uh, you know, he'd, he'd point at you if, uh, if he got real excited. The camera people just panicked up there. I'm sorry, y'all. But there was none of this kneeling and up and down stuff. We get to the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. It's kind of an Episcopal church, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a workout. Because it it required standing and kneeling and sitting and kneeling and standing in various combinations that that us good old Southern boys, we didn't know anything about. And so in in order to fit in, in order to understand what was going on, we just did what everybody else was doing. We were conforming. We were conforming our behavior to everyone else's behavior because we didn't particularly like the consequences of not conforming, which was the little old church ladies behind us staring us down because we weren't kneeling when we were supposed to be kneeling. Again, I'd never been in a church service like that before. We didn't like not conforming because there were social consequences to not conforming. Again, we need to understand this. God is telling Joshua to conform himself and the people to the word of God, not the other way around. Joshua's command was to be careful to do all that the law of Moses commanded them. Everything that Moses had left, not parts of it, not the parts that were most convenient, but they were to do all of it. That was the standard and you conform to the standard. And I'm sure it wasn't a very popular opinion then. Because we read through Joshua, it doesn't take very long at all for people to start rejecting those instructions, for, to, to turn their back on God's standard, to not conform to the standard that God gave them. It, get, we get to chapter seven and we meet a guy by the name of Achan, and Achan, he failed to conform he failed to obey. He did what he thought was right. He didn't conform to what God said was right. And the consequences for that were absolutely deadly. Of course, today we probably have in mind liberal Christianity and things like that that take astonishing liberty with the word of God. I tend to think of liberal politicians who will stand up and quote Bible verses and speeches and you sort of get the hunch that the last time they touch the Bible is when they put their hand on it to be sworn in it's like it's that's not what it is you're you're to be conformed to it you're to be conformed to what it says but don't miss the second part of verse 7 he says do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand and you say well that's pretty language what's it mean well the people were very familiar with this language if you go back and read Deuteronomy this is a phrase that shows up several times in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 2 Deuteronomy 5 17 28 I mean we could go on so the people are familiar with this phrase. Ultimately, it means there's no room for departure. There's no room for departure, particularly in matters of first importance. Today, we can have dis- disagreements about doctrinal things among denominations. But if you came to the prayer time on Tuesday over at the middle school, we prayed with a whole bunch of people from other denominations. And guess what? All those folks go to heaven when they die because we agree on those things which are of first importance. We agree on those things which are of, 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 of great significance. When we think about our commitment to the Word of God, it must be steadfast and unwavering. Now, I don't remember much from trigonometry and geometry from high school. Truth be told, I hadn't used a whole lot of that in my life. Um, but I do remember sitting in class, and Sharon Hoven was our geometry teacher, and I remember her talking about the fact that lines go on forever. And I was looking at my paper, and I drew a line. And it was very clearly that line didn't go on forever. Because my paper ran out before forever got to it, right? And she would say that was a line segment for all the geometry majors there. But she'd talk about lines going on and on forever and ever, that they had no beginning, they have no end, they go on for eternity, and I thought that was the most irrelevant information that I could have learned in geometry class. Because every line I could ever draw had a beginning and an end. But I do also remember that she talked about parallel lines. That parallel lines are two sets of lines that go on and on forever, and they never cross, because they're parallel. But she talked about the fact that if there is any degree of difference between those lines, if there was any degree of difference between those lines, even if that difference was so small that it was imperceptible to the human eye, what would happen to those supposedly parallel lines? They would begin to drift further and further and further apart to a point to where there was absolutely no, absolutely no semblance of anything parallel there now you didn't come in here for a geometry lesson but that geometry lesson is a parable for us today what's the parable a wiggle here a compromise there it goes unchecked and eventually it leads to catastrophe Israel shows us this very well even in the book of Joshua you don't even have to get to judges before the wheels start to come off Small acts of disobedience lead to catastrophic departures from the faith for subsequent generations. We desperately need to remember that today as we seek to follow and obey Christ. Which leads us to the final point. If conformity and adherence is so important, how do we make sure we don't mess this up? I don't want to mess this up. I mean, this is serious. So how do we make sure that we don't mess this up? And this is where we understand verse 8 teaches us here that God's word should be consumed Joshua 1 verse 8 this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success we have to engage with the word of God we have to study the word of God we have to meditate on the word of God now keep in mind how much of the word of God did Joshua have access to five books Some might say he had Job, if it had been written yet. We know he had five books because Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua chapter one, verse one tells us that Moses is out of the book business, okay? He is dead, and so Moses has written the first five books of the word of God, and so those are the books that Joshua had access to, and we understand that if all you've got are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's a very incomplete picture of the fullness of God's word. But that was what Joshua had access to. We live in a day when God has given us the full picture, all 66 books of the Old and New Testament. One commentator, David Jackson said, "'In God's economy, there are no imperatives "'without indicatives. "'There's no commands without teaching "'as to how those commands can be obeyed "'and what it means to actively trust God's promises.'" There are no imperatives, thou shalt and thou shalt not, without indicatives of this is why, this is how, this is what, this is why. God has not left us alone to figure it all out. He has given us a complete picture of what faith and obedience entails. But in order for us to grasp it, the Word of God must be, has to be, a regular part of our spiritual diet. If you're like me, You've read instructions, instruction manuals, and you've paid attention to those things, and you thought, how's this even practical? You read this, and you say, how in the world can we even do what he's saying here? How can we, how can we meditate on it day and night? How can it never leave our mouths? How can we have a, a reasonable conversation with somebody if the word of God is always in our mouth? You know, how, how can we even do that? It's an interesting problem. How's that practical? How can I function in my job if I'm supposed to be meditating on the Word day and night? How can I enjoy my hobbies? How can I even watch a football game? It's hard to fuss at referees and use the Word of God in that that capacity. How do I do that? Well, this is one of these Bible phrases. It's not necessarily means to be taken literally, but it does mean to communicate totality. It means that there's no time of day that is immune from the impact of the Word of God. It means... Not that you can't go fishing. It doesn't mean that you can't attend a board meeting. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy a baseball game. It doesn't mean that you can't teach infinite lines in your geometry class, as useless as that information may be. But what it does mean is that there are no decisions that you can make that are not governed by the influence of the word of God. Here's the deal. I'd love to give you some fancy, newfangled approach to this concept, but the reality boils down to a very simple fact. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you wanna grow in Christ, if you wanna find yourself walking in victory over sin, that growth happens when you consume the word of God. Not when you consume devotional materials, not when you consume social media content, not when you consume all this other stuff. Growth happens when you consume the Word of God. And listen, we live in a day and time where God has given us so many incredible ways to consume the Word of God. We need to be consuming it through solid biblical teaching. I try to deliver that weekly. You've got to have more, though, than just a steady diet of one sermon a week. I mean, if that was your nutritional content, if you just had one really big meal on Sunday morning and you waited the rest of the week until Sunday rolled back around, you're not going to have a healthy nutritional outlook. God gives us grace to consume it in more than just sermons, though. He allows us to consume it in small groups. If you're not in a Sunday school class actively consuming the word of God, you are missing out on a steady part of a healthy spiritual diet. But again, we need it more than that, because God has even given us grace to consume it daily in our own private time of Bible study. If you say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, I'm I'm having, sin is defeating me, I'm going to look at you and say, are you having daily time in the Word of God? Because if you're not hearing, if you're not consuming, if you're not in the Word of God, of course you're going to have defeat and problems with sin. God has given us grace to receive his word. Listen, if you don't have a practice of daily Bible study, there has never been in the history of the earth an easier time to start. Within about three minutes, you can download an app on your phone that will give you access to literally hundreds of Bible reading plans that you can consume daily. You can have multiple Bible reading plans at your access, at your disposal. There are so many tools that we have today that other generations simply have not had. And listen, it doesn't have to be fancy. You know what the easiest way to make a habit of reading God's word is? Sit down, pick up a Bible, and read it. And if you don't understand it, keep reading it. And if you don't understand it when you finish it, read it again. And if you still don't understand it, read it again. And if you still don't understand it, read it again. Keep doing this till you die. And you'll get to heaven and you'll say, all that stuff I was reading makes sense now. All that stuff that I've been studying, it started to click. It started to to make sense because pieces were coming together. The dots were being connected. It's the easiest way to start start the habit. But listen, don't expect to see great spiritual growth in your life if you're not digging into the Word of God. Don't expect it. Don't expect to, to see that growth happening if you're not spending it in the word of God. Listen, you can listen to all the best Christian music. You can read all the best Christian books. You can do all those things. But if you're not digging into the scriptures, don't expect it. If you don't, don't be surprised if you don't see great spiritual growth. Joshua here, it's interesting. He talks about prosperity and success. Now and read that and I think, I think, this is that where that prosperity gospel stuff comes in, right? Read the Bible and you'll be blessed. Read the Bible and you'll be wealthy. Read the Bible and you'll be healthy. Is that what he's saying here? We see what the reality is, is Joshua here is not talking about a bank account. He's talking about something that's more important than a bank account. It's not your financial well-being. It's your spiritual well-being. It's about your ability to be plugged into what God is doing. It's about your ability to be used by God in the good plans that He has for you. And that comes again by plugging in to the Word of God. God concludes his commission to Joshua the same way it started. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Don't miss what God is saying here. Man, Joshua had big shoes to fill or big sandals to fill in leading the nation politically and militarily. But God was also asking Joshua to lead the nation spiritually. It's not like he had a a priest over here that got to do everything. I mean, Joshua was the guy in charge of leading and that's a tall order for anybody. I mean, just imagine if you got tapped to be in charge in some capacity like that. Huge order. I imagine Joshua had to feel a little bit overwhelmed. But I love what God says to him. Even when Josh was struggling with being overwhelmed, he says, you're not alone in this. I'm not leaving this up to you your own devices, your own abilities. You've been well-prepared. You've been well-trained. You've had the best training available. You are ready for this preparation-wise, but God says, I'm not leaving this up to your preparation alone. God looks at Joshua and says, don't let the manual intimidate you because I'm gonna help you with it. You know, sometimes instruction manuals can be overwhelming. There have been a lot of times, maybe you're like this, you Tried to fix something by reading how to do it. You find a website, you find a manual, you find something that says, you know, it's broken, here's what you do, and you read the steps, and you end up looking at it thinking, I just made this worse. But I've learned something. I've learned that somebody's struggling with something, that somebody else has struggled with it too, and they're more creative than I am, and they've probably put a YouTube video up about how to fix whatever it is that they're struggling with. And I'll find that YouTube video, and, and, and I've had a lot of experts show me over the years what the manual means what the repair guide means. You know, I've had a lot of experts explain to me how to fix this washing machine or or how to fix this dryer or how to fix this part on the car. I've had a lot of experts show me over the years exactly how to do that. I'm sure I could read it. I'm sure I could try to understand the words, but I've had people show me. I love here that Joshua's not left to figure this out alone. He has the ultimate expert helping him each step of the way, and when it comes to the things of God, that is true for each of us as well. God has not tossed you in the deep end to see whether you float or sink. He is in the water with you showing exactly how you should swim. He is with you. God's promise to Joshua is that he would go with him and wherever he goes, that promise is still intact for us if we are in Christ. God wants you not only to study his word, he not only wants to give you his word, he wants to help you grow in your faith and obedience to the word as well. Just as he was with Joshua, he's also with you. He said, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's true for Joshua. It's true for you too. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me please? Father, thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you, Father, for giving us a manual and what our Christian life should look like. You've given us the word to show us how you have moved and acted in history. You have given us your precious scripture that has shown us how faithful you have been from generation to generation. And I thank you, Lord, that just as Joshua was being driven by promises that were 600 years old, that we find ourselves today still driven by those promises that you made to those who've gone before us. And so may we find ourselves today obediently reading the Word of God, remembering the Word of God, that we would obey the words when we encounter them, and that we would continue to consume them and reflect on them and let them govern us and guide us and shape us and mold us. God, I pray today that if there's any here today that, that maybe today the, 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 the response is simply just a, a daily commitment to the Word of God. They, they come to church, they hear sermons, they do those things, but, but just daily there's no time in the Word. And, and maybe today is just a day where they need to, in their hearts, say, you know what, daily I'm going to be in the Word. Daily I'm going to read the scriptures. Daily I'm going to meditate on them and study them and, and reflect on them. Maybe there's some here today that, that their response to your word is is maybe they're hearing sermons. Maybe they're spending time at home and, and maybe they need to be in a group where those where the scriptures are being discussed and applied and 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 dug into. Lord, maybe today the response is to simply, you know what, I want to be in a Sunday school class. I want to be in a small group where the word is being. Looked at on a, on a weekly basis with people who are like minded in our faith, that we might sharpen, uh, sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron, and that we might grow in our commitment to the Word of God together. Lord, we understand that faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God, and so may we, as your people, be committed to listening to your words as we consume them. Uh, God, maybe there's some here today that the decision they need to make is that they would follow Jesus. They read the scriptures, and they understand that Jesus died for their sins. And there's a, a call to faith and repentance, and today they need to follow Jesus. So, God, I pray you'd move in our hearts, renew our commitment to your words. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.